Welcome to the first episode of Real Estate with Wendy podcast. Today's topic is Wholesaling 101, and with me in the booth is my engineer, Gene. Good morning, good evening, good night. Whenever you're listening to this, enjoy. All right, so let's dive right in. Everybody wants to know about wholesaling. How do they get started? What does it all mean? What can they do? Well, there are really just three simple steps. Find the deal, lock it up, and assign to your investor and get your fee. So let's start with step number one, finding the deal. Everyone wants to know how they find these deals, and there's a lot of things that we do. First of all, when we go driving for dollars, we'll look for things like tall grass, boarded up windows, a bad roof, empty house with no one living in it. These are all sure signs that there's a deal to be had. Someone owns that property and they're not making money on it. So these are the addresses that you'll want to write down. That's basically all driving for dollars is. Then once you've done this and you've gotten enough of your addresses together, you'll want to come back to the house and look up all of these addresses in your tax search. Find out who the owners are and then begin skip tracing. Skip tracing is really going to be a whole other topic, but we'll gloss over it today and just say that that involves finding the owner's information, his address, where he lives, and his phone number so that you can contact, send him emails, letters, and phone calls so that you can try to hopefully see if he wants to sell his home to you. Step two. All right, so we have now found our owner, got his phone number, and we're going to call him on the phone. We're going to ask him if he is ready to sell his house to us um, because it's obviously in distress, we'll probably want to ask for a steep discount. So we're going to negotiate the price with the owner. And then the next step in locking it up is to get the purchase and sale contract out, start writing and filling it out together, and then you both will sign the contract. At this point, you have a written deal. Step three, assign your deal to an investor and collect your fee. This is uh, the funnest part of the game. So know what your fee should be, first of all. You're going to, I guess, think about the percentages and the numbers in every single deal. They're going to be different each and every time. So the fee will not always be the same. A good general rule is going to be a few thousand dollars. So know what your fee should be. Add it into the contract take this information over to the closing attorney just to make the whole process easier for everyone and then close the deal. Okay, so before we break this down real quick, let me tell you a little bit about me. Before everything shut down, I was actually teaching classes on wholesaling and more. Then the shutdown came, and now I'm presenting this information directly to you. All right, so let's get back to step one, finding the deal. When I first started, I would get in my car not really knowing what to do, and I would drive around for hours trying to find these properties and figure out exactly what I was doing. I can tell you how to easily skip some of this uh, confusion. When you get into your car, you want to have a notepad, you want to have a pen, Perhaps have some of your business cards ready if you have any. Get all of your information right there in front of you so that when you stop, you see something where there's tall grass, no one lives there, something that looks like it could easily be a deal to you. 
You can pull over, get the pen and paper out, and start jotting down these addresses. Now, no, you're not going to know much more about the property at this point, except for what you put down in your little notepad. I would say this, write down descriptions of the property. Write down what area it's in. You want to give as many details for yourself as you can so that when you come back on it, after getting all of the research done, you're going to know and remember a little bit more detailed information. I always physically view the properties. Who would want to buy a house, whether you're an investor or an owner who's going to live there? Who wants to buy a house without seeing it at some point? I like that to be my initial investigation. Driving for dollars, again, is usually step one. You can find things online, but once you find something online that you think is a really good deal, you still have to go see it. So, Wendy, if I can interrupt, as your uh, engineer, I'm also kind of interested in this uh, field. So, if I have some business cards, if there is a you know standing mailbox or something like that, is it good to leave that? Like, does that ever get any return, or is it best to do all the research online nowadays? Okay, so if you leave your business card there, sometimes, even though there's no one living there, sometimes the owner comes to check on his property. I don't like to leave the business card in the mailbox, but I like to leave it somewhere at the door or somewhere on the porch if there is one, somewhere handy where the owner can find it, see that I've been there, and was probably because he sees that I'm a real estate agent, was inquiring about his property. Hopefully, he'll call me. There's not a huge return. But there is a return. I think I'm seeing why you do that. Because if you're driving around and you find nine places and two or three leads come up kind of quick, and you kind of forgot about, you know, the first place you went, and you can't find as much information online as you wanted, that card is sitting there. So three weeks later, you might get, that's how you get that return, right? Correct. You never know when an owner may find your card and come back calling for you. He may not be interested this year even. But let's say down the road a year or two, he might decide, hey, now I'm ready to sell. And if he still has your uh, card, yeah. he will still get in touch with you. Gotcha. Uh, that's great. Because, uh, yeah, just with everything online nowadays, uh, you know, I, I understand driving around and trying to find those uh, diamonds in the rough. But uh, that's something I hadn't thought of before, uh, leaving a physical card just in case it doesn't pan out online. Correct. You cannot always find the owner online. Sometimes you cannot find the owner, period. Sometimes you have to wait for them to contact you back. Okay, so as someone who doesn't know much about this, really, at all at this point, you're talking about driving for dollars. You're talking about driving around, finding, you know, you, you, got, the, you got the science, the, the high grass, the uh, maybe no mailbox, you know, the one window shutters falling off, whatever. But there's no for sale sign, right? Right. Okay. Uh, oftentimes, these properties don't have for sale signs. Sometimes they do. Uh, again, if it's technically for sale, it's generally going to be on the MLS or listed online somewhere. But if there's no for sale sign, that does not mean it's not for sale. But you're saying I should have the confidence to do all this even without knowing that the owner wants to sell at this point. Well, you have to find out if the owner wants to sell. That's what the driving for dollars is all about. You want to be able to find out who owns this house and ask them for yourself. Are you interested in selling this place because you're not making any money on it? It's not doing you any good right now. Let me help you. I can offer you cash to buy this house, take it off of your hands, and you'll be done with it. Gotcha. That's kind of my pitch I just gave you right there for free. So if uh, they're only hanging on to it because it's Nana's old place where the family grew up, 
and it's sitting, it's neglected. There's no for sale sign. It may not necessarily not be for sale. Correct. And a lot of times, if it was Nana's old home, we'll talk more about probate later, but these are the deals when someone has passed on. It's a very sad and unfortunate situation. However, these properties usually get left to families who don't want the house. They don't want to deal with the hassles of trying to sell it. They don't want to take off, you know, put it on the market and and then lose a cut of their money. They'd rather just have someone take it off their hands. So when I'm talking about driving for dollars, I would recommend to newcomers to stay in your area. Look in the places that are near where you live, near where you work, on your way to and from the places that you go every day. These are the ones that, um, let's say on the way to grandma's house, you see this little old abandoned house and it looks like it's fixing to fall apart. Those are the ones you want to go ahead and write down that address and then we'll dive right in and start talking about The next step would be to research the properties and find out not only who the owner is, where he may live, because he doesn't live there, and then find out if you can get in touch with these people. Um, How much the property is worth is going to be another important thing to determine, and where you get that information is almost always going to be your local tax website. Okay, aside from talking about driving for dollars, there are other ways, actually, that you can find these deals. Um, I'm just going to go ahead real quickly and name through a few of them. You've got tax sales, you've got probate, you've got your church friend group. I know that I personally have heard about deals while receiving prayer requests from other friends. Friends, that's a whole nother topic. You can also find properties, believe it or not, online. Your local MLS, Realtor.com, Zillow. A lot of these um, properties, whether you think they're deals or not, are actually listed on the internet. So there's a bunch of different ways to find these properties. We'll dive into each one in more detail later. Let's go ahead and move forward with talking a little bit more about locking it up. A very important part about having these deals locked up is you're going to have to have contracts. You're going to have to know how to negotiate with people and you're going to have to know how to listen to their needs. So let's break those down, each one a little bit more. Contracts. Where, Wendy, can I find a contract? That's always another question I get asked. As a realtor, I can tell you that I just hit print, um, and it's easy for me to get these contracts all day. However, if you're not a licensed realtor, it may be a little more difficult, you think. I would just tell you this. Ask your local realtor or real estate agent if they can just give you some contracts and then you can go make copies of them yourself. I would think that any agent would be more than happy to give you these contracts as they don't cost the agent anything at all, really. If you don't want to do it that way and you want to write out your own, you certainly can do that. Although I would tell you that you might find yourself in a few legal situations, the ones that are offered through realtors and um, the GAR contracts. Those are always going to be more detailed and better for you. Next is going to be negotiating. We always want to negotiate to the best price for you. As an investor, you want to get the lowest price that you can um, on any given property so that you have plenty of meat left on the bone when you go and turn around and do what you do with it, whether you're rehabbing it, whether you're renting it out, whether you're flipping it, whether you're going to live in it. Whatever your deal is, um, you want to make sure that you get it for the best price possible. 
And the way to do that is to negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. There's a little bit of an art to this, and it's very difficult to teach, but I can tell you the one best thing to know is don't take no for an answer. Keep on trying. If someone says no, they won't do this, try something else. Try a slightly different price. You're going to have to, at some point, hear rejection, so don't take it too personally. Uh, if you do, this might not be the, the gig for you. So if I am now emotionally invested in a particular property and I do get rejected, what is the likelihood that we walk away, the deal's done, and then I get a call in two months? Oh, it could always happen. Um, again, you don't want to be emotionally invested because this is not personal. This is business. This is real estate. This is not um, best friends having a tea party. So don't get too emotional. Don't get too invested. It's just business after all. The next thing we're going to talk about is listening to the person's needs. When a person is talking about selling their home, you want to listen and find out what is going on in their life. Why are they selling this home in the first place? Are they distressed? Have they had issues with tenants destroying the property? In hearing their needs, you're going to hear the things that are going to be your negotiating points. Oh, they, they had trouble with tenants. They're sick of dealing with these people. They're fed up. When I hear that, that means, oh, there's a deal to be had here. They will take a discount because they are so fed up with dealing with these people. They just want to take the money and run. That is almost always the case. So if you listen to the sellers or the person who is selling the house, almost always you're going to find that it's in your favor. There are negotiating factors here that uh, you're going to pick up on. Okay, so let me put this all together for you by telling you a little story. So this one day, I was minding my own business out in the garden, playing with my flowers, and my phone rings. And all of a sudden, I get a call from my branch manager at my bank saying, Hey, Wendy, I have these people who need your help. They are fixing to lose their house, and they need somebody to step in and hopefully buy it from them so that they will be able to, you know, move on with their life, basically. So I said, okay, you know, got their phone number from the branch manager and immediately called them. I asked them a few details about their property, where it was located. Could I come and, and visit them and discuss this some more? Of course, I brought the contract with me. So we went and met and we discussed the details of you know, what their needs were, why they were needing to sell their house, why they were needing to move, what the situation was, how much money they owed on their home. And then, of course, that gave me the information I needed to do a little math um, and figure out what the home might be worth just quickly in my head. Knowing the area, again, I stay in my lane, stay in my area. And knowing the area, I figured that the house was probably worth around 300000 so when I discussed everything with them, they said that what they needed was to pay off their $50,000 mortgage and then, of course, have enough money to move on, buy another home, you know, deal with closing costs, deal with moving costs, so forth and so on. So I offered them, I believe at the time it was $97,000 for them to walk away, wrote up the contract the same day, did the wholesale deal with them, called up 
As soon as I left, with them having signed the contract for the negotiated price, I then, while I was still pulling out of the driveway, called another investor friend of mine and said, Hey, I have this contract here. It's for 97000 It's in this particular area, which I know you really, really want and love. Would you like to uh, discuss this contract real quick? She said, and I quote, I'll pay you five grand for it. Take it to the closing attorney. You've got a done deal. And that was the end of that wholesaling experience. It happened all in about an hour and a half from beginning to end. Okay, so tell me again about the math. So uh, they needed 50000 to pay off the mortgage. Correct. Which gave them another 42, 47, whatever it is. Yeah, let's call it 40. Okay. Okay. To move on mm-hmm. and purchase another home. Correct. And, but then where's this 5,000 from the other person? How's that? Okay. So that's a whole separate matter. So again, in listening to the seller, he told me he needed money to pay off the mortgage, of course. He needed money to move. He needed money to buy another property, which I also helped him find that property and helped them get everything set up so that it could be a very smooth transition. Now, once I got all of this done and got the contract written up, and we'll talk more about specific contract writing details later in another podcast, because that's going to be a very important one. But once I got the contract written up properly and had everything detailed out, they had signed it. I then called up my other investor friend who wanted to purchase something in that area. I already knew she was looking to purchase in that area, so I told her about the deal. She wanted to buy my contract. She didn't want me to buy the house that I just put under contract for myself. She wanted to buy it from me. So without having to physically buy the house myself or deal with closing costs or attorneys or fees or anything else, I just simply handed her the contract and said, please pay me five grand. But didn't you already pay 97? No, I didn't pay anything. I only entered into a contract to pay someone. I didn't actually buy the house that day. I just wrote the contract. The closing was set for 30 days in the future, which the person that I sold the contract to still made that closing. So that person paid out the 97. Correct. Buying your contract. For 5000 Correct. So that's what wholesaling is, is when I go out there and I negotiate a deal on a house. It's a, it's a wholesale deal. It's not a full price deal because the house is either in disrepair or even if it's in great shape. Sometimes, for example, I'll tell you what I did with my grandfather's house. A whole nother story. Um, my grandfather wanted to sell his home in East Point. I knew what the home was worth. He did not. He did not want to sell it for what it was worth. He thought that that would be ludicrous. So he sold it f- to me for 17000 That was just a 1000 or two more than he paid for it. He felt like that was a wonderful deal. I said, oh, yes, please, Papa. Can I please buy your house for $17,000? Um, at the time, I partnered up with another investor, which I often do. A lot of times I don't do this stuff myself. I partner with people so that we can both make some profit and it's easier for us to both do together. Anyways, I partnered up with a guy named Mark. He did a lot of the rehab work with me, brought a lot of the tools and the construction materials, and we completely rehabbed the house and then we flipped it for 72 in 2009 in the midst of the down market. We made 
oh, wow, 40-something thousand on that after closing costs, paying attorneys, blah, blah, blah. It was a really nice deal. And we spent less than three weeks doing the whole rehab. We busted it out fast. So wait, how is that wholesale? Because that's not selling a contract. Okay, so I did sell a contract. Um, I just sold it to my partner, then partnered up with him and made even more money, which we'll get more into that later, making money on the front end of the deal, the middle end of the deal, the back end of the deal. Make money everywhere you can is what I say. But yes, it's wholesaling because I got the contract for 17000 I wrote it up for 17000 in my name. Then I partnered up with the guy, Mark, and we bought it. We fixed it up just a little bit, and then we wholesaled it off to someone else for the 72, I believe it was, or 78, something like that. Uh, again, it was a wholesale simply because it was not full price. A discount, anything at a discount is a wholesale. If you're buying something at full price, at, let's say on the MLS as advertised, that's a full price deal or a retail, commercial deal. This is not retail. This is wholesale, which means you're buying things at a discount. They are not full price. Gotcha. Okay, I'm going to end with the last thing. Step three is once you get the assignment to the investor, knowing your fee, knowing how much you should charge for any particular contract or wholesale contract that you do, the fees are negotiable. So this is going to be something that depends on the deal. It might be different with every contract, with every wholesale that you do, or they might be very similar. If you do a lot of similar deals that, let's say you buy a lot of houses that are, say, $50,000 houses, and they're in this particular shape, in this particular neighborhood, you may find yourself getting a lot of this particular fees, just because the fee is going to depend on the math of, of the deal. Again, if you've got one heck of a deal, it's an amazing killer deal. You got it from your grandma and nobody else can get that deal for that price. You may make a lot more money on those deals. It may be $10,000, $20,000 on the really amazing deals where the spread is $50,000 or more for the investor who purchases your deal to make. Anything that is less than that is going to be less money. The less money for the investor, the less money you're going to get for your negotiating the wholesale fee. There are so many different ways to make money. We're going to do another podcast later on negotiating the fees, figuring out what the math is, how to negotiate your percentage. We'll get into that later, but there are always ways to make money so look for money in every single part of the deal, not just in the beginning, not just at the end, but in every part of the deal, see where you can find your fee. To end the podcast today, just so you know me, my name is Wendy, and I live just outside Atlanta, um, on the south side below I-20. I've been doing this for about 27 years or more. I am not just a realtor and investor. I am also a property manager and a wholesaler. So I do just about everything you can do in real estate. It's been nice talking with you guys. Have a wonderful day.